Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Today we're going to be talking about creating prototypes using established systems. I'm joined today by Jamie Humphreys, a tech lead at Software, and Jake Turner, who is a UX designer at Software. Welcome both. Hello. (laughs) Could I ask you to introduce yourselves maybe with a fun fact about you? Yeah, well, I'm Jimmy Humphreys. I've been at Software for about seven years. And back when Pokemon Go first came out in 2016, I traveled all the way to Australia for the weekend to catch a Kangaskhan. (laughs) Were you successful? I did. I caught (laughs) 60 of them. 60? (laughs) That's very impressive. Hi, I'm Jake Turner. I'm a UX designer at Software. Can't really think of an interesting fact about myself other than that I can do a Rubik's Cube in 90 seconds, which was impressive until I, until I joined Software and then I found out that there were about five to ten other people that could do it in less than 30 seconds, so maybe not so interesting anymore. Um, I'm still very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> it takes me about two days to do it and I can only do it if I actually cheat and take all the steps Yeah, that's what my brother used to do, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about prototyping. It's said that a picture paints a thousand words, and in the same way, when a prototype is launched, it can help get buy-in from investors and key stakeholders and give users an idea of what the fully formed project is going to deliver. So my first question is, I mean, that sounds like a great thing. Should we always be prototyping when we're building a new system? For me, it's always really been just a part of my process. So like, I can't create ideas without figuring out some way to communicate them. So the prototype is part of the process and usually is just a byproduct of that. So for me, it's essential in communicating ideas. So for me, the answer would be yes. So for you, you have to build the prototype in order to even work out your own ideas. You can't do it just by drawing a picture or... Yeah. yeah. So, like, if you're, if you, I guess, if you're an artist, you know, they they usually say the ten thousand hours rule. It's very much that for me. I have to generate the ideas before, like, kind of scrap all the bad ideas, and then you get to the good stuff. So it's kind of that's part of the approach for me. And the the end, I guess, the end prototype, what people know what a prototype is. For me, like, even if it's just on paper, if it's even if it's a wireframe, if it's not a high fidelity prototype, it doesn't matter. But that's like the byproduct of that process. You know, you go through the quote-unquote 10,000 hours process and then you'll get a prototype at the end of it that you might be able to show to somebody like Jamie who's who's a tech lead and developing the developing the product or a client for example to help them visualize and get buy-in on the idea so I think as Jake alludes to it depends a little bit on what you mean by the word prototype because a prototype could range from some pictures drawn on paper that you could walk the client through with imaginary button clicks and so on but then on the other extreme of that there is prototyping in the sense that you completely code out and build a website or an app with the intention that all the code behind it is could possibly be thrown away might not be final and getting it into the hands of users that way is another way to go and certainly some level of prototyping in terms of just making sure what you're building has been played out if that's wireframes or whatever is sensible in any project but there's going to be pros and cons to actually fully building a working prototype in any case. I think also the um, point that Jamie raises about you know getting it in front of users, it's a quick and cheap way to get your product in front of in front of people to test and validate your and validate your ideas that you're trying to that you're trying to build, which is what we've been doing on projects that we've been working on recently. So, at least in the first phase of it. 
Right, because I guess if there is no actual final product, then the only other alternative you have is to kind of explain to people what it is going to be like. Mm. And people are notoriously bad at saying what they would do versus actually what they do when they're presented with it. So this is a way of getting that experience of using the final system, but at a fraction of the cost. Yeah, removing the ambiguity in a way, I guess, rather than like explaining something and, and, you know, that other person interpreting it differently from person to person. And there's also that fraction of the cost thing is really important because not every idea you come up with is going to be the right idea. And it may be that you've got a rough business idea and you build out a whole prototype and by the end of it, it turns out that this isn't working at all for your users and you need to go completely back to the drawing board to start again, which is when a prototype's really valuable when you're trying to basically validate some ideas or dis- discover a little bit about what your user needs are. So in that kind of, when there's any uncertainty around what you're building, a prototype's really useful because throwing away a prototype is much cheaper than throwing away a whole system that you've built with all of the necessary cogs and wheels that go behind that. So yeah, I think if you're in a situation where you are very sure about your user needs, maybe it's an established system that you're just adding a new bit of functionality onto or whatever, the prototyping could be very minimal and could be on paper or something like that without really causing any problems and you wouldn't need to stretch out to a full prototype. But for example, the project that we're currently working on for the Government Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, working within gov.uk, they have a very well-established coding prototype kit that allows you to build websites very rapidly. And the way it does that is by letting you cut corners here and there that won't matter because it's not a final piece of code and it has very sensible little shortcuts to make the initial development process quite easy and then let you fill out the detail later on when you move into beyond the prototype phase. I mean, with with bigger new products, so if we take something really big, for example, like a new concept such as Uber before it was even a thing, it's a mental model. And when I say mental model, like it's a, it's a new mental model. So as in people, people have had that idea of taxis before, but they haven't really thought of taxis in that way. So like they were creating a new mental model. Therefore, it was really necessary for a company like that on a product like that to fail fast and fail really quickly to get to get insights, basically have a really quick feedback loop rather than, you know, build out a whole product and then, oh, we did something wrong and then go all the way back. It's just a lot more expensive to do that. So that's when prototyping in that instance is really, really important because you're creating a new thing that nobody's ever like used before. So Yeah, so it's almost like you get the most value out of prototypes when they fail. That's when they were, you know they yeah, were useful. You want them to fail, otherwise it's <laughs> like I mean, I've certainly thought when a paper prototype or even just a quick and cheap wireframe is actually really successful, I doubt it because I'm like, hmm, I wonder <laughs> where the problem is because you know there is going to be one, you're just not sure. Like, So it's good when you get insight out of it that actually says, like, oh, there's a thing that's wrong with it that you can actually go and fix. And are there any places where people go wrong with prototypes, common mistakes that people make? The way that I do it, I don't think there's mm-hmm. a right and wrong way to go about doing it. I think the mistakes that people make would be not having a solid understanding of you know, UX best practice and having the right knowledge to begin with in the first place. So whereby somebody with, I guess, less experience in human-centered design than myself might make decisions. So you don't, there are some mistakes that you don't need to make because you have knowledge already. So that's probably where some people make mistakes of not having enough of an idea of what they're doing before they do it and then the mistakes that come out of testing that prototype or the mistakes that they see are mistakes that they would have seen before had they had the knowledge yeah you're saying that you're wasting time if you're using prototyping to test things you could have already found out another way yeah it's not as cut I don't think it's cut and dry as that like there's certainly a, a level of gray area there but 
there will be instances in where you'll be like, well, we don't need to prototype this because we're, you know, 99% sure because of X reasons that this is going to be the case. Mm-hmm. I think another big mistake that's possible to make with prototyping is to not be willing to unwind some of the ideas that you've had. The mm. whole point of prototyping is that it's very, it's a very rapid way to test ideas and you can sort of quickly pivot and change the way you're approaching a user problem. But obviously, from a client's point of view, we've spent, even if it's only a shorter period of time, it might be a week of their time building out this extra feature into the prototype. And there's, there's going to be some reluctance to just throw that away and turn it away. But the real benefit that a prototype gives you is that ability to test and change quickly. And if you're not making use of that and you say, oh, we've kind of done this now, we should just stick with it, you're ending up going down a rabbit hole that you don't want to be in and you're losing the benefits of prototyping. Mm, it's the thing that like as human beings, we're almost wired to not want failure and to be like, no, we must avoid it at all costs. Yeah. When actually that's where the benefit is. Yeah. The, yeah um, there's so much to be learned through the prototyping process. And I guess similarly to that, it would be very tempting at the end of a prototype to say, oh, well, this, this kind of works now. Should we not just do little tweaks and then make it, you know, put it out as it is, especially if you've done a coded up prototype. But you have to be willing with the prototype as well to say, this is kind of our blueprint, but now we need to dig into the detail of this. For example, we're working at the minute, as I say, on this project, which is about shared parental leave for the government. And shared parental leave is a really complicated policy, but in the prototype, we skimmed over a lot of the depths of the complexity so that we could test the main ideas about how users are going to interact with the tool. But to build it out properly, we're going to have to really mine into that complexity. So the right thing to do is to start afresh and use the prototype as a design and as a blueprint, but not to try to tweak it and build from there. Yeah, to use the things that you've learned. Exactly. Mm, Yeah. The pride thing is like quite a common thing in you know, it's part of our human nature and I guess it's a responsibility as a human-centred designer, as a UX designer, to recognise that you have those biases and you don't want to throw it away. You need to, like, take a really broad level and actually remove yourself from that work, which is, in a past life, I was a a graphic designer and it's a lot harder to do that because you're far more attached to that piece of work. So when somebody critiques it or, you know, you realise that you have to throw it away, it's, like, I guess a bit more of a personal struggle to do so, so... That's maybe a mistake that people make. Some people are a bit too proud of their ideas when really they should remove themselves more from that work and think about like what they're doing and how that's how that's serving the problem and the users. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jamie, you mentioned earlier that you've been using the Gov.uk design system and prototyping kit. So can you tell me a bit about a bit more about how that works? Yes. Anyone who has used the government services on gov.uk will know that there's a very consistent pattern to the way those web pages are presented to you. All of their forms look the same. All of the language that they use is the same. Their, you know, their fonts and styling, it down to all the little details, it's got a very consistent feel across all government departments and services. And part of what keeps that consistency is they have a really mature and robust prototyping kit which has all of these components already built into their design system. So... If you want a button that looks like a GovUK button, they've already got a little component for you to do that. Their forms are built out out of all these components. Their page templates are already there in these components. And I say we've been working with this kit, and it's by far the best quick building toolkit that I've seen for a website in my experience so far. And what makes it work is that Gov.uk obviously has lots of services that they use, lots of different providers to build. So having that central kit that everybody uses is perfect for them. Fantastic. So there's there's like a lot of work that's gone into it already. Mm. And then companies like Software can benefit from that work in order to be able to do things quickly. Yeah, exactly. And it lets you really hit the ground running as well. You don't have to spend a lot of time 
making all of the ground work for the website or setting up all your servers and baseline and code base, all this kind of stuff. It's already, so somebody's already made all of those decisions and sort of abstracted that away for you. So you can just get straight in and more or less day one, you're writing code that affects user choices. So it's really, really great kit. It was quite jarring for me because, you know, all of that stuff that Jamie just mentioned about actually just laying that groundwork and maybe even creating design systems from scratch and then communicating individual ideas to the developers. All of that is kind of not, I wouldn't say like 100% like taken away, but a lot of it is taken away. So you're able to actually focus on the things that matter and how to get the user from where they are to where they need to be. So it was kind of weird for me because I was kind of like, what do I do now? (laughs) Like the time that I would have otherwise have spent, you know, creating a design system or communicating ideas, you know, that would have taken a lot longer. And now I was like, wow, this is a lot faster now. And we can actually focus in more on what's important, which was good. I had a conversation with the team and I was like, so this is what I'm doing. And I'm not sure if I'm fitting in where I need to be fitting in because I was so used to fitting in somewhere else. Mm. It was good in that way, but I had a personal struggle myself, <laughs> I guess. So. Do you think it will affect how you feel in the future as well? Do you think it might be something that once you start working this way, you'll actually find it really hard to go back to having yes. to do all the groundwork right? <laughs> yes, yeah, 100%. It's certainly given me a better idea of how to do those design systems because it's something that I guess I have done before and we, we will do certainly in the future with software. I think the way that the gov.uk design system, which is a design system, and then the prototyping kit actually works are both things that we can heavily leverage upon. So both personally for myself and for software, it's given me like a, I guess, a good idea of what to what to do next. It's another one of those things where it very much depends on the project that you're doing, as mm. in working with a kit like this makes perfect sense for gov.uk because somebody's already spent all the time to think about how things are meant to look and presenting a consistent thing and we're just straight there working on the user need where some of the other projects we do within software part of the process is helping them come up with the design and what their button should look like and Mm. how their form should work and everything like that it's not something that you need across all projects it's just that if you're fitting into an existing system an existing design an existing look and feel then having that kind of kit available to you just means that you can be focusing on the stuff that really matters to the client from the start rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and make and you know do, do all your own effort to to make things look and feel like they want so that all sounds really positive but i've kind of personally in my past worked with various frameworks and systems and it's great to have stuff taken away but you also then don't have the freedom to change it. Is that something that crops up as an issue? From a coding standpoint, this the way this particular kit is put together, it's little bits of templates and snippets that you can kind of embed into your existing HTML, your existing Node.js backend. And it gives you just enough little things to hook in and enough connection <clears> points <throat> that it takes away all the difficulty, but it also leaves you complete freedom to build out your own bits of HTML, your own components, your own services in the back end. So it's it's really nicely designed to give you everything that you would need without restricting what you can do and what, what is possible. Mm. The design system and the prototyping kit do go hand in hand, but they are two different things. So the components and everything that gov.uk is made of has either been vetted individually or built out of the design system. So the design system holds probably 80 to 90% of all the stuff that is in gov.uk in terms of like radio buttons and how forms are built and patterns like um, start pages and things like that. Holds all of that information. So it's a bit harder to suggest something new. So you have to you have to have a really good reason as to why it 
should be suggested. And quite often you don't get that far because there is evidence either on blogs or on the design system itself that says not to use a particular thing. So probably a good example was, Jamie mentioned, like JavaScript. For accessibility reasons, gov.uk tried to make you refrain from using JavaScript because it if I could get this wrong, doesn't display in all browsers. Specifically, they they need your website to still work in the, the case where the user doesn't have JavaScript for some reason or the JavaScript doesn't load. Yep. For any any number of reasons, a user might not have their JavaScript enabled on their browser. And because it's a government website, they want to still make sure that they can get through the experience without... You can enhance things with JavaScript. You can make the experience better if users have JavaScript on, but it still needs to work at least some base level yeah. without it. So that's often a decision point. Like, oh, can we do this without JavaScript? Mm, yes, we can. Let's do it without JavaScript because then it removes having to worry about all of that. So a good example was... what. I was going to mention was things like modals, things like that pop up on top of the interface that you're interacting with. So for example, it would say, do you want to cancel this? Yes or no. So something like that, that would come up is discouraged in gov.uk, but there are a few exceptions to that rule, such as um, I was reading yesterday that the timeout function, so i.e. you've been on this page for a really long time, it's going to time out. Do you want to stay? Like that's one of the only instances in which they will actually really encourage that otherwise they dis- they discourage it so finding a good reason why you should be accepted from that why your design or your pattern should be the exception to that rule is probably a bit harder because there's a whole lot of designers that work for for gds and people that have put those things in place that would debate and argue why that's probably where it becomes a bit trickier is actually getting patterns and getting components actually introduced they, there is a backlog and I mean, I know we're talking about GDS and, and government digital services, what that stands for. And so they have a design system backlog, which is on GitHub, that says all of the things that are suggested and all the things that are proposed. So people do suggest, and there is open forums of discussion amongst designers that are working on external projects like we are, and people that are working with inside the government digital service to um, to actually suggest things that could be in, input into the design system and improve the design system. Basically, I have to have a really good reason why you're changing stuff and why you're in you know putting in new stuff sure it's hard but it can be done yeah yeah essentially yeah if i can give an example from the project we're currently on we're mostly building a planner for shared parental leave and pay is the the guts of the project and a lot of the pages around it are just you know checking your eligibility which is standard form stuff which is basically just all lifted directly from the the gds design kit However, the middle bit of it, the the bit that we're spending most time on is a calendar selection tool where you kind of pick the weeks that you want to take off or you say that this week will be paid, this week will be unpaid, things like that. And that is a component that doesn't exist anywhere. It's very specific to our website, very specific to the service that we're building out. But we've been able to build that because, as I say, it gives you enough hook-in points to add your own stuff. And as long as you stay within the general principles of accessibility and the way the government UK presents itself, then you can build out these extra components. Fabulous. So just to finish, could we maybe talk a bit about, because this sounds like it's been a fantastic system to use, what are you both taking away from this to use in the future, whether that's to work on a specific project, maybe for a, a client in the private sector, or to look at, you know, how you would go about building such a system? if you wanted to replicate that for maybe a longer running project or for a client who needed that going forwards? It's not going to work for every client. Like as Jamie said before, in 
a lot of ways one of the reasons why it works so well for government, gov.uk, is because there is a less less of a grey area with things and things are, are a lot more black and white with government. So it's easier to say, like, oh, I'll use this radio button or I'll, I'll use this type of language or something like that. So it's a lot easier to create a design system based off those ideals because there is less question where it becomes harder if you have a private client that's just starting up that wants a design system there are a whole lot more questions and there's a whole lot more range and a lot more exceptions in in what you can actually do so it's a lot harder to do that sort of stuff but I guess the thing that I guess it's taught me where those exceptions are and how can they how they can be kind of mitigated and for a private client create a bit more of a standardized design system if we were creating a design system for a private client then it would the way that I've worked with the government digital service and the um, the prototyping kit and the um, design system has given me a better idea of where I can improve whereas before I had created design systems but not had as clear an idea so it's definitely helped me in the future be able to minimize where some of those questions might might arise if we can do that for other clients it's a big thing for me, there's a couple of different things that I would be taking away from this project and it would really depend on the needs of the individual client and how willing they are to go down the prototyping route but also how appropriate it is for the project. The first thing for clients where they have this need to discover something more, they have this uncertainty at the start of the project and we agree that prototyping is the right way to go, there's lots of stuff about the Gov UK kit that I would just you know, steal, quite <laughs> frankly, just lift lots of their ideas, lots of their way they've plumbed stuff, lots of their technical frameworking is really, really good. And it's all open source. So there's just lots of their ideas that I would lift because, you know, no need to reinvent the wheel. But as a more philosophical second one, I guess, is just seeing the value of rapid prototyping and being able to test an idea by writing it out and giving it to people quickly has become even more apparent to me during this project and that's something that you can do in any project it doesn't have to have a big prototyping kit behind it you can even just say you know we think we want to build this onto your system we're going to do a technical spike this week which will will time box and we'll say we're going to try to build this out but we'll it'll be rough and ready code and again you can get it in front of users and I think the value of that sort of thing has become more clear to me during this project and is something I would try to bring forward when working with other clients. It also creates a lot of visibility within you know, software as a development, a software company that will permeate through the company more, which I think is a really positive thing. So everyone is more user-centered, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is, I guess, one of my goals working yeah. here. It's like make people care about the users more, which you know that could always be improved. So. I think it's, it's a really interesting move in tech at the minute i guess as we continue to get more and more agile as a, as a company and as an industry you see this need to get into user talents more quickly it's not the case that a you know a cto at a company can say this is the whole system that i want you to build and you know write you a massive specification and dump it on your lap this this need to get things into users hands and to pivot and iterate quickly is becoming more and more important in the industry and um, this kind of prototyping or even just spiking is all a part of that Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jamie and Jake. And join us next time on Software Tech Talks. If you'd like to listen to more Software Tech Talks, please do look us up on iTunes or on SoundCloud.